BridgeBank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to the risk takers, the game changers, and the disruptors. BridgeBank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. BridgeBank, be bold, venture wisely. Hi there, I'm Randad Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. Megalopolises. Megalopoli. Mega, I, I thought about that, whether it was it should have been Megalopoli. With our <laughs> listeners, you'll hear from them if it was. <laughs> This is Political Breakdown from KQED in San Francisco. I'm Scott Schaefer. Well, you know, it's been nearly 16 years since California voters approved a $10 billion bond measure to build a so-called bullet train connecting Los Angeles to San Francisco. Since then, well, the project has been way behind schedule and way over budget. Several scathing audits highlighting all the ways the high-speed rail authority has mismanaged the project. Critics love to deride the train to nowhere. That's what they call it. And they say it is really a monument to government waste. And yet the system is being built with a section between Merced and Bakersfield scheduled to come online in the next few years. Too often the San Joaquin Valley has been kind of the stepchild in California. But in this instance, we are being connected uh, with the key economic centers. Over 12,000 jobs have been created. Today, an update on California's most criticized infrastructure project and some surprisingly positive news about where things stand today after an infusion of some $3 billion from the Biden administration. California's high-speed rail project, is it off the rails or oddly on track? Maybe somewhere in the middle. We've got an update for you. Joining me are KQED's transportation editor, Dan Brecky, who just got off a train himself from that's, BART from the East Bay. Hi, that, Dan. That's right. My train was going a little slower, but yeah, I'm here. Yeah. And also, Yusef Beg is with us. He's been writing about the impact of high-speed rail, uh, and uh, especially in the Central Valley. He's been doing that for Cal Matters. Yusef, welcome. Pleasure to be with you guys. Thank you. Well, Dan, let me begin with you. Take us back. Tell us a story. Starting in 2008, when the voters passed that bond measure, what did they, what were they approving? What, what was the sentiment? I mean, why was there all this momentum to build this thing in the first place? Well, I'm going to take you a little farther back than that. Back in the 1980s, there was serious talk about having a high-speed rail system in California. And by the late 90s, that those early discussions had led to the formation of an agency. And in 2008, we had a ballot measure that was essentially to... Uh, approve a $10 billion bond, a, a little less than $10 billion would actually go to the rail project to create this network that would uh, run, you know, the, the real trunk line of it was San Francisco to Los Angeles, but also extensions well into Orange County and to Sacramento, eventually to San Diego. So it was a world-class system that was being sold. And the timeline, um, and I think uh, Yusef did a masterful job of sort of pointing out maybe this is one of the flaws that's led to, um, you know, the dis- discontent, I'll say, that we uh, still see today. 
is that this was a system that was supposed to be running by 2020. And uh, of course, as you note, uh, it's nowhere close to that. (laughs) Yeah. And the the inspiration, did it come from like Japan? I mean, what was happening in the 80s that made this thing such an idea then? Well, Japan is famous as the first nation to roll out a bullet train, right? They called it the, uh, the Dream Super Express, right? It started construction in 1959 finished uh, just before the opening of the Tokyo Olympics in 1964. It was a just uh, an incredible feat for a, a nation that was still recovering from World War II to do this. And it was done with the intent of, of making a statement to the world about where it was at that moment. And, you know, in subsequent years, that you know, most other uh, Western societies are far more dependent on rail tra- travel than uh, the United States is. Uh, we were before World War II and then after World War II and the, uh, the rise of uh, commercial aviation, uh, fewer and fewer people were taking the trains. But if you look at England or France or Germany, those are all places that uh, rail travel has been central. Of course, there are other places as well. But those nations developed high-speed rail. Uh, Très Grand Vitesse in, uh, in France, I'm glad nice. I, you know, I wrote on it once. Um, and it's fantastic. I've ridden on the Shinkansen in, in Japan. It's fantastic. And so when you see these things out there in the world and you have this natural uh, travel corridor between San Francisco and Los Angeles, it's sort of an irresistible dream. Yeah. Well, Yusef, you've been spending time in the Central Valley where part of this uh, high-speed rail is actually being built. But, you know, what's your sense of the mood there generally, we'll get into the specifics, but that is a region with, uh, that had, has had a lot of opposition over the years. I mean, it's one of those places that I think uh, is feeling like they're having a moment. Uh, you know, this is our time is something I heard from business owners, uh, local officials, even project officials at the authority. They're, they're really bullish about what's happening in the Central Valley. And I think there's good reason uh, to, to believe them as well. I mean, we have state forecasters saying that the Central Valley will have as many as 5 million new residents by 2060. Um, you know, we're seeing this migration shift from the pandemic that may have even been supercharged by it. Um, that's now giving a lot of viability to housing, to uh, to schools, to businesses, to commuters who are suddenly thinking, you know what, like maybe I'll take a chance on that first time home in a place like the Central Valley. And I think what uh, is was most significant about the time I spent there was what I was hearing from folks in Chinatown. This is an area that has been neglected for generations, uh, has been really a victim of urban sprawl and neglect over the years and, and you know, some of the the white flight to the outlying areas. And so uh, they're finally seeing an opportunity because of high-speed rail with the new downtown station that's being built in Fresno. They're excited about hotels, housing, retail, nightlife, you know, the possibility of just more foot traffic in a place that's really been eager for it for a long time. What do you see when you're down there, when you're near this rail project? What do you see? It's, uh, you know, it's it's it requires a bit of imagination, I would say. I mean, you're looking at an area that uh, is definitely wearing the effects of the neglect, right? Shop alcoves where people are sleeping because it's just kind of a, a covered spot for the night or uh, cars that are, you know, there's evidence of folks living inside them, right? Just brimming with items, possessions to the windows. Uh, and, and a lot of the streets are just kind of vacant. Many of them are torn up right now because they're kind of in this in-between phase of t- tearing up the infrastructure beneath to build new ones and repair old one infrastructure that's already there. And so, 
uh, it requires you to sort of envision, I think, what a lot of these business owners there are envisioning, which is this future that looks very different from the reality they've been living in for decades. But there are some, uh, what do you, I don't know what you call them, Dan, help me, the, the well, actual like... Uh, the, some viaducts. I mean, viaducts. I mean, it's... It's one of the aspects of infrastructure that people kind of get excited about. And you don't necessarily have to be an infrastructure nerd to be excited about. So just north of town, for instance, and this has been in place for several years, there's a magnificent viaduct across the San Joaquin River coming into Fresno. And um, and there's more and more of this infrastructure throughout the Central Valley. Um, when we went down to see um, beautiful Lake Tulare or Tulare Lake uh, after the floods in the spring, it just happened right outside of Corcoran, which was one of the towns under threat. There was a, a brand new uh, viaduct and bridge being built for high-speed rail. And so there are dozens of places around the valley where this uh, construction activity has been going on. And Yusef, um, I know you talked to the mayor uh, of Fresno, who's Republican, and he was very supportive. Um, do they see that as sort of like the frosting on the cake, or is that like fundamental to the revitalization of the Central Valley? Well, I think it's a little bit of both. I mean, you know, there's uh, he, you know, Jerry Dyer has this vision for 10,000 new residents to the downtown area. It's this um, number that he's kind of uh, landed on as being a, a figure that represents, you know, foot traffic, enough of the population, sustained businesses and, and any sort of new investment that would come down there. Um, but, you know, his politics are not necessarily what you would uh, sort of envision for a high speed rail evangelist. Right. Like he's uh, he's taken a lot of heat for his abortion uh, stances. He's pro choice. He's uh, you know, he was very critical uh, of Hamas and was very pro Israel when the conflict erupted there in the fall. And so he's not exactly kind of a, a high speed rail proponent and kind of what we traditionally think of one, but he respects and I think appreciates the economic benefits. And he's he even told me that he doesn't want to be remembered as the mayor who sort of blew this opportunity to, to kind of have this economic revitalization that Fresno has been eager for for so long. Yeah. And I think, you know, whether you oppose the project from the beginning, if you're the mayor, like Ashley Swearingen was also the mayor earlier. She was also Republican. And I, my recollection is that she really did embrace the project because, you know, it's jobs, it's economic, uh, you know, money being infused into the economy. So it's hard to say no to that when you're in charge of the city. All right. We are going to take a short break. And when we come back, more on California's beleaguered high-speed rail project. You're listening to Political Breakdown. I'm Scott Schaefer. We'll be right back. Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture, and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just... What we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, it was always KQED. 
And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. And welcome back to Political Breakdown. I'm Scott Schaefer. We're talking with KQED's Dan Brecky and Yusef Beg of CalMatters about California's way-behind schedule and over-budget high-speed rail project. It's gotten nothing but criticism for years now, but there's more to the story from that, as Yousef has been writing. Um, Yousef, what do you think? Uh, you mentioned Chinatown, um, and there being a lot of enthusiasm there in Fresno for that. But what about beyond that? I mean, and I'm thinking of growers. I mean, the valley is known for agriculture, and growers, farmers— dairies. I mean, they were among the ones who sued to stop this thing. Uh, is that now thing of the past? No, I, I think, you know, some of the, the hardline opponents still tend to be in some of the rural areas of the Central Valley. Uh, and I think the authority deserves a lot of blame for some of that uh, lack of political support there. You know, when the, as Dan knows, I mean, this project was kind of run by an army of consultants for a long time. And as a result of that, the the sloppiness to which land acquisitions and some of the early political work that was needed there to get that buy-in, uh, it just never materialized in a way that was good for the farmers and good for the growers. You had people who were waiting sometimes years uh, to get a check cut for land that they sold or for, for you know, land that they were providing space for construction to. And so, uh, you know, that caused a lot of really hard feelings. And those were people who could command the attention of political leaders in the area. And so those were a lot of those skeptical opinions you would hear in uh, the Capitol and in other places when people were talking about they're saying, hey, my constituents are complaining about not getting paid by land acquisitions that are taking way too long to get completed. And so this is a lot of the stuff that the state auditor's office has laid out in some of the reports over the last 13 plus years is that these consultants really didn't do a good job delivering on promises or being timely in the work they were doing. And that sounds like to me, Dan, a lot of wasted money and certainly wasted time. To what extent have those problems been fixed? It's a little hard to tell. Um, you know, I mean, one thing, and it's not uh, confined to this one project. Um, this is something that Yusuf wrote about, that we have other examples of of large projects, although none nearly as large as this one, where there are significant delays. But I think the biggest impact now is, uh, and the biggest indicator we have about whether the, the ship has been righted, is the timeline. Uh, right now, the guess is, I think, between 2030 and 2032, actual service will begin on that 171-mile corridor from uh, Merced to Bakersfield. And I think to the extent that stays the case, that we don't have to wait longer than that, 
That's what you need to look at. And not so much the cost. It's going to cost a lot of money, and the cost is going to go up. I mean, it's almost uh, inevitable given inflation. And given the uh, sort of the facts on the ground about what construction costs in California and around the world for big infrastructure. Well, Yusuf, I know you talked to Ray LaHood, who is a former Republican congressman from Illinois. He was the transportation secretary for President Barack Obama, and I believe they got some of that initial federal money from uh, from the Obama administration, from Congress. Can you just, uh, we're going to hear a little clip to set this up for us. So Ray is one of these people that uh, is really clear-eyed about the benefits of high-speed rail and kind of the, what it offers to the public. And I think, uh, you know, when I talked to him, he was really uh, trying to get across less so much like the, the cost and some of these other things that often tend to soak up all the oxygen in the conversation, but more just the reality of what this will mean for people when it's actually a, a part of their lives. All right, let's listen. The bottom line is, this is what the people want. And I believe that when California is finished, it will end up being a good investment. People will use it. It'll be oversubscribed, just like it is in Japan, just like it is in Europe, just like it is in China. This is what the people want. Yousef, uh, of course, it was what the people wanted when they voted for this, but there was opposition, including from Kevin McCarthy, uh, who, you know, the former speaker, uh, he for years tried to block any federal money for this. Vince Fong, his former district director, is now running for McCarthy's seat. He says, I don't even want this in my district. Um, so is that how relevant is that at this point? I think it, it, it kind of shows some of the ways that, uh, you know, Partisanship dictates so much of this conversation. You know, uh, Assemblyman Fong, you know, when I talked to him, he he expressed a, a view that I almost was kind of stunned by describing uh, just how much he questioned whether they should be building in his own district in the first place. He was like, why not pick an urban center like Anaheim or 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 somewhere, uh, you know, in Southern California? while overlooking the fact that Fresno is the fifth largest city in California or Bakersfield is one of the top 10 largest cities in California. And so these are urban centers, right? But he just, uh, because he's so bound to this critical perspective, uh, he even questions why it's happening in a place that might actually, you know, serve his constituents and benefit the cities that he represents. Dan Brecky, uh, you know, there there were a lot of questions as to, you know, and jokes, frankly, uh, as to why are we starting in the middle of the Central Valley? Who wants to take a train from Merced to Bakersfield and back? And why not do it from, uh, you know, pick a place, you know, Orange County to L.A. or L.A. to San Diego, whatever. I know that wasn't part of the bond measure. But, you know, what's, why did we start there? Well, the the bottom line reason is that there was a belief it would be easier to do there. Uh, the initial forays into looking at the uh, north and southern, the northern and southern links of this, so the L.A. area uh, and the uh, San Francisco Bay area, showed that there was going to be a battle over the route and and how it was configured and. Um, it was, and it would be much more difficult to engineer and much more expensive on both ends. I mean, uh, uh, Yusuf's piece has a a really cool uh, animation from California High Speed Rail of what the train might look like going through tunnels in the Tehachapi. Now right? we know where the money's going. It's on those animations. <laughs> well, you know, they've always had good animations, and this one, I you know, I recommend. It's really cool. <laughs> but but it would be very those those parts of the project getting through the mountains there, and it's they have to go through two mountain ranges down there, and then um, there's you know. 
population to the max everywhere you look when you get into those uh, megalopolises, um, it's, it's going to be difficult to do and very expensive. So the Central Valley was looked at as something where you would get the most for your money if you started there. Yeah. Yusuf, one it's of the things- It's also the layer of economic justice too, right? Like this was something that the Obama administration was super keen on coming out of the Great Recession. They were looking at where to put these grant dollars for high-speed rail and they picked the Central Valley. They had grant proposals for, for Northern California, for Southern California, and they specifically chose the Central Valley, not just because it would be easier to build and to acquire land faster, but also because, hey, this is a place that needs some economic investment coming out of one of the worst you know recessions since the Great Depression. One of the things I learned in your piece uh, surprised me is that the environmental clearances from L.A. to San Francisco have been secured. What does that mean exactly and how big a deal is that? So it's a it's a funny bureaucratic term to basically say that they've they've done the planning, but now it kind of gets to this like public process where it has to be approved and reviewed and go through sort of the typical processes we have for economic reviews on on infrastructure. What it means is what it sort of triggers, right? What follows is design, land acquisition, construction. It's like this sort of sequencing of steps. And so the reason the authority is so excited about this or, or they're so eager to tell folks about it is because what happens now is is more tangible than sort of the abstract bullet train. Is it coming? When is it happening? It's like, no, now it's actually going to be designed. They're going to be able to go buy the land where they're going to build specifically, and then they can actually start the work to build it. Dan, uh, also in December, when this $3.1 billion for California was announced, uh, I think it was another $6 billion was announced for to build a high-speed rail from Las Vegas near L.A. Right. Um, how does that figure into this? Is it going to complement it? Is it going to in some way upend it? It was actually $3 billion for both projects. So $3.1 billion for high-speed rail, the, the state project, and $3 billion for this project going from uh, Rancho Cucamonga to uh, to near Las Vegas or right into the center Las Vegas. And that's a project to watch very closely. They have a very aggressive timeline. They have a working high-speed line. I, I don't think it uh, amounts to bullet train status yet in, in uh, Florida. Um, you know, I, I guess my feeling about it is they have chosen an easier route. They're going to use the median of Interstate 15 most of the way, which is which is easy compared to what to everything that's happening in the California high school. They've already rail. got the right of way. Yes, exactly. So um, I, I think the thing to be aware of there is if they pull something off where they have high speed rail service from you know not really downtown LA but close to Las Vegas and they do it by the end of the decade, uh, that's going to make people really uh, take another look at whether high speed rail the state project should be moving much faster than it is and what it would take to do that. Yusuf, real quick, last thought from you. Uh, how optimistic are you that the date you put in your story, 2026, is the day that we're actually going to be able to ride on that train in the Central Valley? I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic, but so much of this, as you guys know, comes down to the politics in D.C. And if federal funding doesn't come in, it's not going to be able to connect to the urban centers and the coast. And so for this project to actually deliver on what it's saying to folks, it's going to need support from Washington, D.C., and it's going to need more political support from leaders in California. Well, and as we know, Donald Trump, when he was president, tried to claw back a billion dollars or so and was unsuccessful. But if he gets reelected, well... Uh, it's not just high-speed rail, but there's going to be a lot of problems for California, I would imagine. All right, we are going to leave it there. Yousef Beg from CalMatters, KQED's own Dan Brecky. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. 
And that is a wrap for Tuesday, January 30th. Political Breakdown is a production of KQED. Our engineer is Jim Bennett, and our producer is Izzy Bloom. I'm Scott Schaefer. Thanks for listening. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org podcast. 